Captain, we have them. We've established Transporter Lock, the Star Trek Discovery podcast. Join Ken and Sabriel each week as they explore strange new episodes, seek out new plots and new characters, and boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Hello and welcome to Transporter Lock, episode number 79 for October 2021. I'm your chief engineer, Ken Gagney. This one is named Captain Sabriel Maston. <laughs> and she trifurcates as well. How fancy. <laughs> I didn't even know you could do that. Me neither. It's really confusing, but amazing. And what? Well, let's not go to that. Hey, let's try something else. Wasn't there a ship on Star Trek Voyager when they went back into the Alpha Quadrant and there was a Starfleet ship that like, split into three parts that the Romulans were trying to take over? Yes, it was. This is the Andy Dick ship. I, I know. I, I know that Andy Dick is a problematic character, but I loved that episode. The Prometheus. That's right. That's right. Oh, gosh. What a great episode. But we're not here to talk about Prometheus or The Next Generation or Voyager. We're here to talk about Star Trek Lower Decks, Season 2, Episodes 6 through 8. And since we have three episodes to talk about, we figured we'd have three voices with which to talk about them. We have this one who is named Captain Sabriel. We have me, Chief Engineer Ken. And we have Chief Science Officer Velda. Hello, Velda. Hello. Thank you for inviting me today. Thank you for joining our ship. And just to clarify, what exactly is it you are the chief science officer of? My own kitchen, where I (laughs) conduct experiments just about every day. Wow. So you don't go by recipes. You just throw things together and see what happens? Yes, I do. And I dare say I'm quite good at it. We have our own Janeway. (laughs) Janeway? I thought you were going to say Neelix. Our own Janeway. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself and talking about the episodes. (laughs) This is true. This is true. So, uh, Velda, what is your history with Star Trek? How long have you been a fan? You know, I saw some of the original Star Trek series when I was a little kid. The Next Generation came out when I was just entering my teen years, and I loved it. You know, we didn't get a lot of TV in my household growing up, but we would watch Star Trek and my best friend's family would actually record it on VHS. And so we could go to her house and watch them. And so I just absolutely loved it. Then I would read the books. I would, uh, by the time I got into my later teen years, I had to work a lot. So I missed some Star Trek, um, dove right into being a parent. I can say that, um, I missed the final episode of Voyager because I had to go to the hospital to give birth. So uh, Star Trek's always been a part of my life, even if I haven't been able to catch every episode. I've really enjoyed it. You were recreating the scene with Bolana and Tom as you got back to Earth. It's true. <laughs> I mean, that is fan dedication to an extreme level. Mm-hmm. Well done. You, you mentioned Voyager. What about like Deep Space Nine, Enterprise, Discovery? You know, I saw some Deep Space Nine. I actually dressed as a Bajoran for Halloween once. I did not see Discovery. There has been basically um, a 20-year blackout of most TV for me where if I wanted to watch something, I had to be very deliberate about getting to it. But during this time, I have watched Lower Decks. I got introduced to that by my daughter and she and I binged some of that and I have seen some other episodes since then. 
That is really cool, and it strikes me as unique. I would wager a, a, an unfounded guess that most people who are watching Lower Decks are also watching other Star Trek shows on Paramount+, Plus, like Discovery or Picard. And here you are with just this singular experience of Paramount+, Plus, and that experience is the animated series. It is the animated series. It's just when my daughter's visiting, so I don't have it all the time. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you got to experience some new Star Trek, and I hope that as time allows, now that you have more time than you did, say, 20 years ago, mm-hmm. that you have the opportunity to go back and catch up on some of the newer Trek. I sure hope so. And speaking of newer Trek, we have, as I mentioned, three episodes of Lower Decks to discuss today. Uh, episode six is The Spy Humongous. Episode seven is Where Pleasant Fountains Lie. And episode eight is I, Excretus. Which I know you've been waiting to hear me say. <laughs> I mean, somebody has to say it, so it might as well be me. Uh, let's begin in order by going with The Spy Humongous, which had three ABC plots. The Packlet Homeworld and Negotiation for Peace. The Anomaly Consolidation Day and the club that Boimler joined, The Red Shirts. Let's talk about that. Uh, Velda, would you like to share your impressions, your experiences, any highlights from this episode that stood out to you? Put you on the spot right away. <laughs> <laughs> like, hmm. Well, I did find some p- sympathy for the uh, Anomaly Collection Day people and having to do all the grunt work and things like that. I've uh, been in that position sometimes in my life, and yet you get to have quite a few adventures with it sometimes. And I loved that that these characters did too, that they got to see some fun things that we've seen in, in previous Star Treks. I thought that was fun and cute. Wait, I'm sorry. You've been in the position of collecting anomalies? Yes. My life is a collection of anomalies, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I have been in the position of, of doing, you know, just kind of grunt work type cleanup stuff and running into weird things. I found it a little unbelievable that so many artifacts were just lying about. Like we saw the episode previously this season where they went to the collector ship. And in that context, it made sense that there'd be a lot of dangerous artifacts for them to interact with and accidentally trigger. But on a Starfleet ship, I thought regulations would be higher that they wouldn't just leave these things lying around. And I know it's a comedic show, but Mm -hmm. I still nonetheless can't help but try to frame it as is this possible in the world of Star Trek just in an exaggerated fashion? Absolutely. How many times do we say see situations where like, hey, we found this very dangerous artifact. We don't know what it does. Hey, let's let's teleport it or transport it to engineering and put it right next to the engine. We'll just keep it here for a while. <laughs> <laughs> this this, yeah. phaser, this weird phaser we don't understand? Right next to the engine. This uh, Borg uh, data nodule, right next to the engine. (laughs) Or let's put these Borg nanites right next to this future century holographic emitter. Yeah, and so no, this is maybe against regulations that no one listens to these regulations. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, Sabriel, you provide a, a very valuable perspective where I come to this show thinking about the way Starfleet is supposed to be, and you remind us of the way Starfleet actually is. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's the stuff we're told, and then what we actually see. Right. So, like, I come here and say, they would never allow these things to happen, and you're like, you're right, they shouldn't, but they do. <laughs> and yet. Right. I guess I'm a little by the book in that respect. I've always been more on the lawful good side. Me too. And yet, we still do yep. run into anomaly hoarders, right? 
I was concerned about Mariner. At one point, she said, I, I don't know if they were nanites specifically, but she's like, look, they're eating my fingerprints. And her whole hand was turning blue. They never really resolved that. I thought there would just be some closure where they sprayed it with something and got it off or whatever. I think at that point they just had run the joke and they're like, okay, the audience is smart enough to know we're taking care of this. <laughs> mm-hmm. I figure it's probably like a lot of uh, more animated series where problems tend to just resolve themselves. And I love the way they resolved it by Boimler going to the trans- to the replicator and just ordering everything. <laughs> I had to rewind that because it was just so funny uh, the way that they took down Tendi's emotional armor. Oh, you see, I mean that was I like that resolution, but I hated that little subplot of Tendi getting uh, swallowed by a screaming slug. Where this this show loves the screaming, and then getting pooped out, and then she turns into a scorpion. I was just like, okay, I'm, this is my phone time. <laughs> <laughs> this is what about that absurd. didn't resonate it, with you, it's Sabrina? It's not funny to me. The screaming, the pooping. The, I mean, I just I feel like we've seen a whole bunch of people. Oh, I'm turning into something else. Uh, it's just kind of boring me. Well, like earlier in this episode, we saw Rutherford turn humongous himself. Yeah, which I was no, like, okay, another fat joke. Oh, that's true. I hadn't thought of it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. they did a couple, and, and they did another one in the next episode too. So, are scorpion jokes not funny then? No, it was just this whole thing of it had nothing to do with the scorpion itself. It had to do with like, oh, someone's turning into a thing again. Oh, screaming or using that as a joke. Uh, it just turns me off. This was one of my least favorite episodes of the season. How did you feel about the TNG episode where everybody devolved into animals? Uh, that's not the same. They're not. They don't have a tradition of lower decks. That lower decks has of turning people into things and screaming. I see. So it's almost more like it's. This constantly reused. Yeah. Just, just going back to the well for that. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. But some of the anomalies were funny. I mean, <laughs> it's just that whole bit. I was like, okay, I'm done with that. We've done this before. And one thing about the screaming, though, is that it's not a side of Tendi we often get. I mean, she can be a little extreme, like when she was trying to extract Rutherford's brain. Mm-hmm. But in general, she is definitely an optimist. And this time she was just like, no, I'm tired of trying to be happy and all of you crapping on my efforts. So it was nice for her to have that outlet, even if it took turning into a scorpion for it to happen. Yeah, she didn't need that. My favorite part of this episode was the Packlet part. Packlet spy. Uh, Well, let's talk about that then. Let's talk about (laughs) Rumdar, the Packlet who went up to the ship and wanted to see how everything worked. She thought it was hilarious, especially when (laughs) they lose him. And he goes to the bathroom and flushes himself out the airlock. <laughs> okay, that's not funny because when I was a little kid and I was flying with my family down to Disney World, I couldn't tell the difference between the door to the bathroom and the door to outside the plane. Oh, no. Luckily, you would not have been strong enough to open that door. <laughs> you think six-year-old me knew that? I was just scared that I would get sucked out if I just opened the wrong door. It's so cool, though, that six-year-old you realized that you could get sucked out if you open the wrong door. Being mature enough to realize what can kill you is not a great thing. <laughs> Fear for life. It's wonderful. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what our, we're supposed to be protected by, from those things <laughs> until we're older. I love the top secret gift shop. Uh, <laughs> he's like, I want to see the shields. We'll show you to the top secret gift shop. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Um, my, my favorite. Oh no, no, no. Hold on. Before I get to that, my favorite part. My favorite part though of the episode of getting down there, and I think every woman in Starfleet is a Janeway. Huh? Uh, but and also like, oh, I don't have a big enough hat to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they just keep getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> but when have the Packlet ever met Janeway? Why? Why would they even know who she is? I mean, everyone in in Star or in Lower Decks knows about. Has watched every single episode of Star Trek, so apparently it's just a ubiquitous thing. I guess. I mean, there are a lot of other strong women. They could have said uh, Crusher or Troy or Kira or Ezri Dax. I mean, I suppose there's just a lot of time between the last episode of Voyager and this. <laughs> by, by the way, in the opening credits every week, I believe in the second season, they added some packled ships to the fight between the Romulans and the Borg that weren't there in the first season. Is that correct? I usually skip i have to go back and look i would have to because, look too i mean I, what i remember from the first season is that it was the romulans and the borg and the cerritos just sort of turns tail and runs away mm-hmm. but this season there are some purple ships that the romulans are also fighting and it Ooh. took me forever to figure out what they were until the spy humongous and i saw more packlet ships and i was like i <gasps> think those are packlets someone asked if there's a klingon sh- on twitter i didn't get a chance to investigate there's a klingon ship difference in that scene too Hmm. Hmm. But I also don't understand why in an environment where there are three parties and one of the parties is the Borg, why fire would be exchanged between the other two parties? Because everybody should be fighting the Borg. Uh, I mean, it lower decks, if we think too deep about it. <laughs> uh, Savriel, we have a podcast. That's our job. <laughs> I mean, we could have talked about the intro a while ago. <laughs> Well, it took it took me until now to figure out what was happening in the intro what for the first half of the season. I was just like, they've added more alien ships, and I didn't know who or why. Clearly, someone's honor was judged, and the Pakalids do things to make them go, and that all convalesced into this conflict with the Romulans. Who... So the Cerritos just kind of hightails out of there. <laughs> Not our problem. <laughs> I mean, the Packlets are not all that different from the Borg. This, they both not. look for things to make them go. And they don't innovate their own technology. They just steal other people's. Did I ever tell you about the time I had a Packlet as a MySpace friend? Go mm-hmm. on. My spite, my space, not my space is in the height of its time. And I don't know how. I don't know if I've talked about Star Trek or just browsing through people. But I found the guy who played a Gredna blog on... on TNG, just a big guy who's just very happy. He actually played a pack led on TNG. So I just, uh, he friended me. I friended him back and didn't really talk much, but he was just very happy that he got to be a pack led. Uh, that was just his big thing. I also made him one of my top eight friends because. <laughs> <laughs> well, hold on. The, the, the actor you're talking about, uh, a couple of things about him. He also played Starscream on the Transformers and Cobra Commander on G.I. Joe, and he passed away in 1994. Uh, must not have been greater than log then. Must have been a different packlet. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Because the the actor who played Grebner Log was a very famous actor, and uh, I don't no. think I. I mean, I'm sure he was proud of being a packlet, but I don't think that would be <laughs> the height of his career. Probably not. No, it was some one of the, one of the other ones then. It, okay, it was a different packlet, but a yes. proud one. Very proud. <laughs> a proud, proud packlet. It's so fascinating, the people you can meet on social media in the 90s. I was just telling Velda the other day about how I met a science fiction author named George Alec Effinger, who sent me an autographed copy of his hardcover book, When Gravity Fails, 
because I sent him a VHS copy of the episode of Days of Our Lives that he missed. (laughs) Incredible. And we made that connection on the Genie online service in the showbiz form. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Early days of the the internet. You know, before everybody was on Twitter and every now and then you could just like, like, wasn't Babylon 5? I think that show was announced by the creators on Genie. I could not tell you. I have to tell my friend Shar, who I think she's been on the show. Uh, yes. She does a podcast about Babylon 5. Oh. Speaking of, I heard there's a new show coming out. A new Babylon 5 show? Yeah. That's all I heard. Oh. I don't know anything more than that. Okay. <laughs> That's cool. Mm-hmm. Actually, I just looked up on Wikipedia in Babylon 5. There's a section of the Wikipedia page called Use of the Internet. And it says that the creator was on Genie and CompuServe. <laughs> there so, you go. Yeah, it was. Uh, he participated in online communities on Usenet, Genie, and CompuServe before the web came together as it exists today. It was one of the first shows to employ internet marketing to create publicity among online readers. And yet, I've never seen it. <laughs> oh, I, no. Even though it has Tron himself. Wow. I still, I still haven't seen it. Bruce Boxleitner. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and there's a lot of overlap between Star Trek actors and Babylon 5 actors, right? I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> I want to watch Babylon 5 and report back to you. Oh, nobody here has seen Babylon 5? I haven't seen it. I saw the first episode or two. Okay. Well, that's more than me. So, Sabriel, you're the expert. Congratulations. All right. Yay. There was a guy with tall hair. And that's about it. Oh, and they have a wormhole. And TS9 basically copied the concept. Did they, they got really? in trouble for it. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure, wasn't Walter Koenig on the show? Or was yes, it George Takei? Right. Walter, yes, Walter Koenig. Okay. So I got that right, at least. He was looking for their nuclear vessels. No one could figure <laughs> out why. I already did that this this spring. I was in San Francisco. I looked you for were. nuclear vessels. It was awesome. <laughs> so, All right. Packlets. How about them packlets? The <laughs> best part of this episode for me, though, the spy humongous was the very last minute or so, 30 seconds, when they use this little gem of Shrax's to prank call Armus, the skin of evil. Yes. Oh my <laughs> god. Like as soon as they said Armus, I was like, oh my god, really? From season one of TNG? <laughs> that was the best part of the episode. That was one of the best parts of the season. That was amazing. They could have had that as a short on Twitter, and I was like, okay, as a full episode, thank you. <laughs> it's funny because the last time he was on the show, and like he's a very serious character. He killed what were a lot of people's favorite character on TNG. And here he is just being the butt of a prank. Yeah, it's great. He deserves of course, it. Of course, if they actually did have that artifact that allows you to call anybody anywhere, like I don't think it would just be siloed away with all these other anomalies and not used. Like They would figure out how to replicate that and they would use it for all their subspace communications. Well, I think they had just gotten it. So they had a, oh, relatively. So they had to collect it and turn it in. Well, it just kind of reminds me of Star Trek 2009 and then Star Trek Into Darkness, where in the first one, they figure out, like, what was it, like, transwarp teleporting, and you can go from planet to planet. And in the second one, they find out, oh, you can use the Wrath of Khan's blood to cure death. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, great. You don't need Starfleet anymore because you can teleport anywhere and people never die. Yeah, this one's having any implications <laughs> anywhere. Right. So... It's it's totally consistent within Star Trek for Lower Decks to have this artifact that would dramatically change their day-to-day operations and for to just get used once for a prank and never reference again. I totally get that. <laughs> but like I just want to acknowledge the fact that that is not how it would actually work. You know, 
this strangely enough, this brings me to an interview I watched with Rob Bessario, whatever the guy created his Quantum Leap. Donald Belisario. Donald Belisario. He said that he intentionally made a show where Sam jumped for the most part to people who were unknowns. So that because they were just ordinary people who wouldn't change the timeline. He wouldn't, you know, things like that. And he did. There's an episode like where they had Lee Harvey Oswald and whatnot. And he actually wrote that because the guy knew uh, Donald knew <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald inserted him. Mm. Wow. But uh, for the most part, they chose people intentionally who were ordinary people. So the timeline would not get altered in that way. And so there. No, that makes sense. But then as you get close toward that series finale, you see him playing Elvis and Dr. Ruth. Yeah. And so they, they sort of started bending the rules on that. But mm-hmm. so fun fact, I, in my day job work with websites or rather nonprofits largely who want to launch new websites. And I was on a kickoff call with a new, a nonprofit a few months ago. And one of the questions I asked them is, so what sources of revenue do you use to make sure, because we want to make sure that that's incorporated into the website if if you use your website to generate revenue. And they said, well, actually, we're largely funded by a grant from Penn State in Pennsylvania, and specifically the College of Communications. And so I just do a quick Google search to see what the connection is between this nonprofit and this school. And the College of Communications at Penn State is specifically called the Donald P. Belisario College of Communications. Well, let me know. And I was like, and I figured this out on the call. I was like, wait a minute, you're funded by the creator of one of my favorite TV shows? And even they were like, what? What show are you talking about? <laughs> and my boss, who's on the, also on the call, and he knows what I'm talking about. He's like, Ken, you liked Magnum P.I.? I was like... <laughs> I was like, okay, Magnum PI is okay, but I'm talking about Quantum Leap. <laughs> oh boy, right? <laughs> that mustache. That was yeah. just a very unexpected connection to come up in my day job with with Scott Bakula, captain of the Enterprise NX01, who was not mentioned in this episode about packlets at all. Right. <laughs> we gotta tie it all back together. I just did so, as best I could. Yeah, like who are well, three yeah. people who have never been in my kitchen? However, <laughs> yes. Uh, there is apparently an Enterprise interface in the next episode. Wait, wait, wait. We haven't talked about the third subplot where Boimler is joining oh, the yeah, Red Shirts. I love how they're like, you call yourself the Red Shirts? <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It makes us sound invincible and invulnerable. Uh-huh. <laughs> no, no. Uh, the only thing I have to say about that is I loved how, well, two aspects of the same scene. One where he was on stage basically auditioning to join the club. I used to do a lot of community theater. I've auditioned for far more shows than I got into, and I got into 28, so I auditioned for more than that. That was a very authentic experience that they had him doing, where the light is on him, people are in the audience judging him. That was spot on. And second of all, I loved how he emulated the sorts of inspiring speeches that we do hear from captains. It sounded really good coming from him, but it also made us realize just how vapid and pointless these things Mm -hmm. are. Yes. Oh, and I also love the joke about how the cast all had um, enhancements in their uniforms uh, to make them look more muscular. Right. Oh, that's true, because they actually did that, right? Uh-huh. They did that in real uh, life, and they did that for Boy More Hair. Wow. Yep. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about the spy humongous before we move on to where pleasant fountains lie? Not for me. Let's go. Let's move on. Season six, episode seven, where pleasant fountains lie. Two main plots. One is there's an evil computer. And second of all, there's a Renfair ship. 
So, Gabriel, <laughs> what did you think of this episode? I think this is the first episode of Lower Decks Run where I cackled at the screen. <laughs> when you no cackling at the, oh. Which subplot were you cackling at? Uh, when Rutherford talks about the elf matrix. <laughs> I just lost it. Because they have this whole thing on the Renfair ship about how they just renamed everything to make it sound magical. Yep. And so right. just playing along and like the elf matrix. And, and, no, don't do that. <laughs> I just <can't>. <laughs> <laughs> because, because, Sabriel, you are offline a dungeon master for Dungeons & Dragons games. And so I suspect oh. that a lot of this probably resonated with you, especially if you've ever played a Spelljammer campaign. Oh, I mean, actually, I mean, I suppose I didn't even think about Spelljammer. No, actually, I didn't even think about D&D. I just thought it was funny with the Red Fair context. Uh, <laughs> got a kick out of that. Like, like the... The sh- on the shuttle, but the Easter eggs, e- well, the Easter eggs on the schematics for this uh, Renfair ship had um, a dragon in one area. It had uh, horses in the shuttle bay. <laughs> that was fun. No, I don't, you know, honestly never made connection to D and D at all. <laughs> oh, really? really? Well, the p- the part that really stuck out to me was when the minstrel started playing his lute to block communication. Like Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, actually, I wasn't thinking of that, but you're spot on. That is very accurate. It was the pulsing white orbs from um, when Superman was down there playing, when a white hair vegan Superman was playing uh, guitar, had the whole. That's right. Right. Mm-hmm. Brendan Ruth. There we go. Yes. Got there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> but it also just seemed very much like, like I, I get the comic book Knights of the Dinner Table. It's a monthly 64 page magazine. The first 32 pages which are my favorite, are the comic strip. And the other 32 pages are how to play not only Dungeons & Dragons, but also their game called Hackmaster. Hackmaster. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like every epi- every issue has, here are some NPCs you can put into your game. Here are some traps you can put in your dungeons. Here are some magical artifacts you can add. And that totally seems like th- the loot of miscommunication or something. <laughs> like I can totally see that being an artifact in D&D that your bard character would walk around with. At the beginning, they're opening with uh, Boimler's cleaning a phaser rifle, and Mariner's like, "What's the difference? <laughs> What's the big deal? A phaser rifle? It's a phaser that you hold with two hands." <laughs> yeah, it's true. That's like, it. are, are they that much more powerful? Uh, on on Delta Flyers, the podcast with uh, Harry Kim and Tom Paris, they say like they hated those because they were so heavy. They were made of wood. Oh, and they were heavy. Yeah, <laughs> as foretold. Yes, as for cool. <laughs> Velda, what did you think of the Ren Fair ship? I mean, do you have any analog? Are you a participant in the Society for Creative Anachronism or anything? <laughs> I'm not a participant in that. However, I have um, gone to Ren Fair type things. I used to uh, sing at a madrigal dinner where I would dress in peasant clothes and go caroling from table to table and serving food. Um, so I've had I've had a little bit of play along those lines. And I also enjoy walking in a park where there are frequently people out LARPing. So I've, I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I thought just all the, the I, I agree with the magical references. I'm sorry. <laughs> Renaming scientific things to more magical sounding stuff. Mm-hmm. That was really pretty funny to me. And the people's costumes and uh, the big dinner scene. Again, that brought back some fun memories of goofing around with that kind of stuff. So, The one aspect of this episode, or rather that plot specifically, that I did not like was the goal to get the engineer to lose his virginity. That 
was a little strange. It's very forced, but I don't know. I, I didn't have a lot of feelings towards that either way. I mean, I have a YouTube channel that has received over 25,000 comments and using sex as an insult often comes up. Mm. And I just don't feel the need to emphasize that about a character. Like, I just don't think that whether or not a character on a television show has had sex or not is relevant to anything and making it the point of his inheritance or whatever. Mm-hmm. It, it was just weird to me. Oh, I don't know. Well, and, and making it where they were trying to force him to have sex. That was, to me, that was the kind of uncomfortable part of it. You know, whether or not someone has had sex is also weird, but then that they were all trying to force him to do it so that he would, you know, take this inheritance. I thought that was very strange. If he doesn't want to, he shouldn't have to, you know? Yeah. If he's being coerced into sex, then that's not a positive situation. Yeah. That's not particularly funny. So. Yeah. So I really didn't like that part. I did like that. They had both a man and a woman in bed waiting for him because it has been implied in previous episodes, especially this season, that that character has a crush on Commander Ransom. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I like that they were ready and willing to satiate whatever his pleasures were, you know, rather than trying to confine him or restrict him to just one or the other. Or, well, satiate his pleasures or, my, or just do everything they can to force him to right. do his duty. <laughs> Yes, I mean, this doesn't make a negative situation better, but at least they were more open-minded. <laughs> I mean, the lower decks has been pretty, thankfully, but pretty open-minded about queer or multi-person uh, situations, as it were, uh, mm-hmm. which is cool. Yes, and, you know, Discovery is very good about that, too. And, um, of course, toward the end, so was Picard. Yes. No spoilers, Velda. Sorry. It's okay. Uh, but <laughs> so I don't watch a lot of the previews for episodes. And so when I heard uh, Jeffrey Combs' voice as the evil computer, I got so excited. I didn't recognize his voice until I saw the end credits. Oh, really? <laughs> and like I flipped out and I turned to Velda. And I was like, do you, because we watched the episode together, do you know who Jeffrey Combs is? And she was like, no, I haven't. Because as we discussed, there are, you know, episodes of Star Trek she didn't have the opportunity to watch, and so I had to explain how he played Weyun the Vorta and Brunt the Ferengi and Shran the Andorian and many other characters, but those are my three favorite with Shran being at the top. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, yeah he, he makes a great evil computer, and I think I, I read that on Star StarTrek.com this was his voice acting debut. I don't know if they meant in Star Trek or if he's just never been a voice actor before. Oh, hmm. I don't know, but like, like, there's not. I feel like there's not a lot to say about this whole subplot. But I thought it was hilarious. I mean, it was just a, it was just funny to me because it's very tropey. Did you did funny. you find it uh, predictable that Boimler was just trying to fake out the computer? Because I feel like there's a lot of tension, both positive and negative, between him and Mariner, and I really could believe that he would shoot her with a phaser. Really? Yeah. By the books, Mariner. Or I'm sorry, by the books, Boimler. <laughs> shooting Mariner with the phaser? I don't think so. Yeah, but she's not by the book, so he would put her down in order to stick to the mission parameters. Yeah, but that's not by the books. I, su- I suppose. 
right? Mm-hmm. So does that mean that you were not surprised when he said, oh, yeah, I only shot you to convince the computer I was on his side? You know, honestly, I'm not quite sure what I thought of that. I was looking at it going, wait, what? Okay, yeah, because it resolved fairly quickly after that, didn't it? It's a half hour show. Everything resolves quickly. It's true. Uh, it's true. But like after did. he shot her, it was not very many minutes before that was resolved. Mm-hmm. If I recall correctly. So I, I shall like, blind you. Happening? Flicker, flicker, flicker. Uh, yes, I thought that was super great revenge. <laughs> that was amazing. <laughs> it reminds me of my lamps here in my in my condo. <laughs> I have these lamps that I can, you know, that they're smart lamps that I can turn on and off. And I was like, wow, yeah, impressive. Are they all that smart, though? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> they're rather annoying sometimes. So now, there was one line in that plot that reminded me of Big Bang Theory, and some common criticism about Big Bang Theory is that. Just referencing something doesn't necessarily make it funny. Like, that's not a joke if you just drop a name. And so in this one, they said, oh, let's bury the computer in the sand, just like Data's head. And they're like, Data's head wasn't buried. It was in a cave. And I'm like, okay, I get the reference to Time's Arrow, part one and two, but where's the joke in that? I, I didn't really, it didn't make me laugh at all. I, don't, I didn't think it was supposed to be a joke. I thought yeah. it was supposed to be a reference. I thought it was supposed to be a reference as well as, you know, a hey, Chuck Bands, do you remember this moment? Yeah. So I, don't, I think you were right in what you felt. That okay. it wasn't funny. Right? <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. Well, good. I win. Yay. Good job. <laughs> and I love the idea that they put this computer in a bank of other evil computers at the end. It kind of reminds me of at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. We have our top men working on it. <laughs> And it just gets filed away with everything else. Uh, I, I got to kick it out too. It's also the Daystrom Institute from Picard. Yes. Mm. And uh, one of the little PC rigs that they had there um, had the CBS logo on it. The, the what logo? CBS? The CBS I logo. Oh, gosh. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> In the upper left. I didn't ah. see there until someone pointed it out. Or someone online just said it existed and then i found it when i watched it again upper left corner or upper left quadrant have you ever seen the movie colossus the forbin project no i have not it predates 2001 a space odyssey with hal 9000 and it's about an, a computer that essentially becomes evil so the united states develops this supercomputer that's supposed to manage all of its military decisions and they plug it into whatever counts as their digital infrastructure back in the 70s. And this computer becomes aware that there is a counterpart, a similarly supercomputer, in Russia. And they, this computer says, I want to connect with the computer in Russia and see what information we can exchange. The United States and Russia, the humans, talk to each other. And they're like, yeah, this sounds like a great idea. What could possibly mm-hmm. go wrong? <laughs> and so they connect the computers. And the one in the United States enslaves the one in Russia and now controls all the world's military and basically says, you're going to run your country this way from now on because I'm in charge and this is what I think is best for you. The United States would do that? Oh, wait. (laughs) (laughs) But the computer is even telling the United States Americans what to do. Mm. And so like at one point, for example, they try to disconnect the computer. The computer responds by setting off an atomic bomb. Oh, and wow. says, every every time you try to disconnect me, I'm going to set off an atomic bomb. Look what you made me do, huh? That's yeah. Starfleet. Starfleet came in and helped them resol- get rid of the computer and kept everyone from worshipping it. 
Yeah, it's that easy. You just carve <laughs> it out of its installation and, oh my gosh. Well, and go and stick it with a whole bunch of other bad computers. Right. That's, that's going to work <laughs> really well. And, you know, speaking of hoarding anomalies mm-hmm. and stuff, you know what I'm saying? That Let's just put all the bad computers together in one big room. Yeah, I'm just going to put this fire with the rest of the fire. <laughs> <laughs> You know, there was an, a novel, I forget which one, for TNG, and it basically had all the artificial intelligences that have ever been seen in TOS and TNG in one place, in one episode, in one book. Like, there was this computer scientist who created a homeworld where all AIs could be safe. <laughs> and the Enterprise went to that homeworld, and it was just everything. So, like, it had the M5 computer from TOS, and it had those nanites that Wesley Crusher just accidentally invented or whatever. And Data, of course, was there, and Dr. Bruce Maddox. But it kind of reminded me of that. Daleks. Daleks, yes. (laughs) Yes. I want to see... There was a comic book that had a Borg-Cybermen crossover. Yes, I have that. It wasn't great, in my opinion. No, it's fine. Yeah, I'd rather see a Borg Dalek crossover. Yeah. Velda, are you a Doctor Who fan? I have seen many Doctor Who episodes with my kids. How fun. And some when I was younger, too. So Yeah, my familiarity stops around 1983. I haven't seen really any Doctor Who since then. But, but they're going to introduce a new Doctor Who soon, right? Because Jodie Whittaker is done? Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, the Doctor, she'll be retiring is that role. It's not. It's not a Doctor Who. It's a Doctor. <laughs> oh. Oh right. And uh, yeah, she'll be done. And they're bringing Russell T Davies back for the guy who ran the show when it first came back. They're bringing him back to produce to be the sure show, not, yeah. right? But not to be the. Doctor. But not to be the Doctor. No. But there right. will be a new Doctor. Yes. Huh. Uh, Chibnall did not run long, but we only have. It's already. We only have one more episode left to go. This is that Doctor Who podcast, though. So. <laughs> well, it's also not a Quantum Leap podcast. So it's come true. On. It's no, true. I was We're all over the place. place. I'm trying to, I was trying to find a segue. It's also not a Babylon 5 podcast. <laughs> I was trying to find a segue. Uh, or a Magnum PI podcast. All right. Thank you, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Shall we talk about I, Excretus? Well, that first on, on uh, Voyager, we had no... Um, yes. <laughs> okay. Last time on Voyager... I excretus. I excretus. I just wanted to say poop. I excretus. All right. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought this was a very fun episode. I feel like this could have fit into season one if they were trying to show us what they want Lower Decks to be, which is just an amalgam of all the different things from all the different Star Trek shows put into one place. Like, and that's who it's created for. Uh, but even if it's in season two, though, I still thought it was hilarious. I thought it was great. I thought it was fun. Yeah, these two episodes back to get back were one of some of my favorite episodes of Lower Decks. They're just funny. Yay. Yeah, I, I like I had to pause multiple times to see the names of all the holodeck programs like Chain of Command and Time Warp and Kobayashi Maru was in there. <laughs> but also teleportation death tag. I mean the only thing I can think of is the time when Barkley was afraid of transporters, but that's not quite the same thing. Oh. <laughs> Uh, no, I got to kick out of it. shoving everyone into different episodes. Easiest way to make like, tons of references at once. 
Yeah, like you had the Mirror Universe, you had Kirk on the Cowboy Planet, which was also a thing they did on Enterprise. Mm-hmm. I just <laughs> the Mirror, they have no problem making fun of the ridiculousness of the Mirror Universe. Like, man, torturing makes me horny, and a horny, <laughs> horny makes me want to torture people. Man, I could get stuck in that loop all day long. <laughs> like, oh my god! I actually missed that line of dialogue. I don't know how. <laughs> it was the opening one when they uh, Ruth- Mirror Rutherford and someone else are walking around. Wow. Yeah. And then Mira Boimler being all like, I gotta find a way to kill the captain so I can get on an even more evil ship. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Ascension through assassination. (laughs) No, that world falls apart if you think about it at all. (laughs) So I love that they're poking fun of that. Yeah, we've talked about that. Like, how can they possibly have all of our counterparts from this world when they're always killing each other? Mm -hmm. However, I have to bring attention to the holodeck program based on the naked time. Oh, goodness. <laughs> like, somebody tweeted a screenshot of that and said, this is exactly what Roddenberry had in mind. <laughs> yeah, beautiful. And somebody else grabbed the screenshot of Boimler that has some parts blacked out and said, do not cosplay as Boimler. <laughs> Don't do that, yeah. Do not cosplay as this version of Boimler ever. <laughs> Um, oh my uh, like the the Klingon, like, <laughs> it's time of life. <laughs> oh, 900 hours. <laughs> yeah, I broke my back yeah. running over to pick up a peanut. Because <laughs> that is totally something that, like, that is based directly on an episode of TNG with Worf. And also, like, I think Stacking. season two with Dr. Pulaski was the only time we ever saw those red medical outfits. Yes. No, no, no. Like, they brought them back in uh, DS9. They had them too. Oh, okay. There's still, though, they're not common. Mm-hmm. No. And I feel like just their presence in this episode was a joke. Uh, actually, I think they are, were in the Worf Hurts His Back episode as well. It was Dr. Crusher in one. So, yeah, it's their surgery uniforms, but they are a joke. They look so stupid. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, let's instead of wearing a hairnet, let's wear a onesie. <laughs> <laughs> My gosh. Uh, I loved that Boimler was the one who aced his test and i loved how they did it like he rescued the borg babies which we've only ever seen in one episode he beat the borg queen at chess and taught her empathy right (laughs) and and yet nonetheless still blew up the cube he beat up a rigged or passed a rigged test and also was brought made sure speed running still exists (laughs) right (sighs) Well, he wasn't. We don't know what time trials. Oh no! I, I don't but. Too, just like the mirror of the universe. Don't think too deep into that. But he just he kept yeah. doing it over and over and over again. He just kept doing it again. <laughs> you yep. know, I love that about Boimler, and I love that episode. I was like, it's me being nerdy and trying to get a perfect score. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like the uh, opening sequence in Chrono Trigger, where there are all these decisions you can make, and you don't know until an hour or two later that they actually make a difference. Yes. And so Boimler runs through and he says like, oh, those babies were there for a reason. They weren't just set decoration. Mm-hmm. And so he wants to do it again now that he knows more context. And I can totally get wanting to min-max your score in your run. For sure. <laughs> it just reminded me of all the time I spent getting three stars on all levels of Angry Birds. Because that <laughs> <laughs> that's a good use of one's time. I know, right? I'm like, ah. Uh. A little embarrassing, but oh well. Uh, this episode is where we had a uh, Pandronian. 
uh, gal who could separate into three parts. This is from the animated series. Oh, oh, this was not made for lower decks. No, not uh, not made for lower decks. And yes, she could trifurcate. And apparently they were going to try to do this on the original series. And they even had a plan to do it, but it just never happened. Wow. I I had a nightmare where I got uh, where that happened to me. And I was existing in that sort of state. So that was a little weird for me watching the show. Now, <laughs> <laughs> see, the lower, uh, there are two series of Star Trek that I've never seen all of the episodes of the original series and the animated series. And, and so I had no idea that this was a callback to something that long ago. In the animated series, did the character always like get their head in people's faces like that? God, I don't remember a lot, but I think that was mostly a joke here because she even makes it a joke. It's like, oh, don't get ahead of yourself or whatever like that. Oh. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember too much about his, that character's role in the original series, uh, to be honest, I, or the show or cartoon, but I just remember him existing. Hmm. Then I had to look up Pandronian, the name. Mm. I'll, have to, I'll have to look that up as well. Indeed. I thought it odd that there are replicators with different kinds of food programmed into them and you only get the really good stuff when you're in command. That was kind of strange. Like why would you not just store the programs in a central system? I think it was purely for plot so we can make it look like our bridge crew is remembering the old days. <laughs> I mean, I did like that the bridge crew reached out to the lower decks. I thought that was a nice touch. Mm-hmm. For once, finally. Yeah. Although the captain putting everybody into danger with all these like black holes and time warps just to prove a point, that seemed a little excessive. Now, see here, I thought it was just, no, this is nothing. They were Starfleet. This is weird as part of the job. I, hmm. Right. I mean, this is just normal. Everyday life for Starfleet. I mean, there was even a, I remember a clip from one of the episodes where you see like Lord Dex, like some weird thing happening out the window and everyone's just ignoring it. It's just everyday part of their job. <laughs> well, I think that was when Rutherford and Tendi were having a tender moment in the hallway while the giant hand of Ransom was punching the <laughs> ship. Well, it's not the scene I'm thinking of. Yes, that's also going on. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, However, I did like the reference to there being other crystalline entities. Yeah. Because that, <laughs> that episode of TNG was always so heart-wrenching for me that this aggrieved mother, this I'm sorry, this grieving mother would murder her son's murderer and that by doing so she despoiled the memory of her own son she destroyed something unique and beautiful all for nothing that always haunted me and so to know that there are in fact other crystalline entities out there salves that wound a little bit i'm glad you found some closure there that's really thank you (laughs) that's all i've ever wanted (laughs) yeah i got excited It, it is I gotta say they brought Alice Creech back. Oh my god, you're right. I didn't notice that till the closing credits. The Borg Queen played the Borg Queen. Right? <laughs> I got into a disagreement online about this, too. Because oh. uh, when I realized it was Jeffrey Combs last week in the episode, I said, oh my god, they got Jeffrey Combs back. No context, because I, I intentionally try to keep things vague. I know people don't like spoilers. And... Uh, this week I said, oh my god, they got Alice Creech back. And someone replied, spoilers! But I'm like, I thought, I told them, like, you know, normally I'd agree with you, but we had Robbie McNeil play a plate, and William, <laughs> uh, and Jeffrey Combs play a computer. I 
didn't really think it was too big of a deal, personally, to, to mention just Alex Creech. And she ended up did reprising her character, but I still felt like in Lower Decks where anyone can play anyone, it was... I didn't think of it as a big deal. And also... I, oh, there was one last thought, and then I'll let you jump in. Um, uh, crap. Crap. No, it's gone, so go ahead. I'll think of it. I think in this case, I got to agree, because Robert Duncan McNeil played the character he played from Voyager. And I think if you're going to go after somebody like Alice Kriege, then you're probably not going to have that person playing, you know, crewman number five. Right. right. Like that person is that like Jeffrey Combs is not known for playing just one person. He's known for having a versatile portfolio. And so the fact that he would play somebody different is consistent with his history in Star Trek. But Alice Kriege has only ever played one character. So if you're going to bring her back, she's probably going to play that one character. I suppose, but maybe it's also because my whole meh about Lower Decks in general. It's like, there's Mm -hmm. nothing here, really. To me, that is like, oh my god, I know someone's in the episode. It's going to ruin it for me. Right. Uh, Yeah, I don't think it's necessarily like a mind-blowing moment that if you, you know, find it out before the show that it's going to be ruined for you. You know, uh, I, I don't know. I've never seen The Mandalorian, but I just found out in one episode of season two that there's a particular character that I would never have expected to show up in that show. And I was like, spoiler. And the person said, Ken, that episode's been out for months. I was like, OK, maybe. But still, you this was in Slack. You could have threaded it. Just said Mandalorian spoiler season two. And then I would never have seen it. And I, I hope someday to watch that show and my memory being what it is. I'm going to remember that that character's coming and I'm going to expect it and I'm not going to have that jaw-dropping moment. Well, I mean, I won't get too big into it. It's all philosophy of spoilers, right? So, like, for some, the excitement is even if they know something's going to happen, they want to know how it's going to get there. Right. And for some, they want to know uh, they want to uh, know nothing, but yet still participate in internet, which sucks because you have to participate in internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. I totally get that some people don't mind spoilers, yeah. but it's still possible to obscure a spoiler and make it available to those who seek it out, which Sabriel, I've seen you use rot 13 a lot on your tweets for that very reason. Yeah. I'll do it for major things uh, or things I feel is major, but uh, I guess the issue here is that there's a disagreement about what is major. Yes. And, um, Oh, I remember the thing I was going to mention. The person said that the Robbie and uh, Jeffrey Combs ones were in the teaser trailers, but Alice Creech wasn't. Well, I don't usually watch those, so I have no idea. Like, the only thing I knew Robbie was in, because I, I did watch the season two teaser. I've never watched a teaser for a specific episode of Lower Decks. For the season, yes. And I think that's why I knew that there was, a like, a, a void plate in one of the episodes. Yeah. But. And so, like, okay, well, I, I was like, well, that argument doesn't work sadly for me, because I don't watch those to know. <laughs> right. But, um, but, I mean, it's also like, well, how long do you wait until uh, say, spoilers are safe? To talk about is it years months like i know a gal who got so pissed off you talk about it's a wonderful life because she's still yet to see it and i'm like i think over 50 years is well beyond uh, opportunity <laughs> yeah i mean yeah. i think we can talk about you know darth vader's familial relations at this point but what's the i mean i don't want it it's rhetorical but it's like what's the what's the point where it's okay uh and then we don't really have it have an answer here I'm not looking for right. one either and it's just mm-hmm. like the okay i can understand and I, I usually try again in short i try to not reveal anything i think is gonna be major and to me i just didn't think this one was somewhere as it might but to me it wasn't 
Well, you definitely shouldn't tell people who or what Rosebud is. It's true. I won't Good. tell you it's a wagon. Don't Google it. It's not a wagon. <laughs> See? <laughs> so anything else? To say? Uh, the last thing I have to say about I excretus is that I thought it was a dumb name for the episode. Not that excretus itself is dumb, but I excretus is such a minor part of the episode. Excretus of Borg. <laughs> <laughs> it took me a long... I was like, I excretus, what is that a reference to? And then he, he's... Yeah, and I was like, ah, okay. Also, the program should have failed him well before he got assimilated. Oh, yeah. But she was busy doing other things, to be fair. You can get trampled by a horse, and that's a failure, but you can get assimilated by the Borg, and you just get a like an 8%. <laughs> it's true, anyway. but she was she was uh, on the deck being, or I'm sorry, on the bridge being um, subjected to all sorts of weird stuff at the time, if I recall correctly. So she didn't have time to fail him. Maybe it was a manual monitoring and she was choosing who to fail. That's possible. It's Alice Kreese could have been reprising her role from Thor, the Dark World, or a Christmas prince. Okay, oh. Sabriel, move on. <laughs> Let it go. I pulled her up like, has she ever played any other role in Star Trek real quick? <laughs> All right. We're coming up on an hour. I have one question with which I want to close, which is this is the penultimate episode of Transporter Lock for this season of Lower Decks. The next episode we're going to review is season two episodes nine through 10, which are the last episodes of this season. Last season, they were building up to something, which was, it was revealed that Mariner and Freeman were related and Boimler got promoted to Riker's ship. What do we think this season is building up to? What do we think we're going to be talking about in the next episode of Transporter Lock? Any theories? Hmm. I mean, speaking of spoilers, right? I don't know. Spoilers and theories are very different. That's true. That's true. Because we, we have no inside knowledge. We are a Star Trek podcast, but nobody tells us anything. That's true. Uh, you probably should, should have posited this question offline so I could think about this before, besides having dead air. Um, well, that's uh, why we edit in post, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> what have they been building up to? Well, what do you think, Ken? That's Well, I'm so glad you asked, Captain, because I have a theory, <laughs> which is that they've been hinting in several episodes that there is some romantic tension between Mariner and Boimler. Oh, please don't. Well, I think it's going to come to a head and be resolved one way or the other. Oh. Hmm. There was a big change in relationship at the end of the first season, which, as I mentioned, was Mariner and Freeman. That's true. And so I think Mariner is the main character here, and for this to be a story and not just an anecdote, something has to change in her character, which was last time she started working better with her mom. They have a better working relationship now than they ever have. And so what other relationship is going to change for her this season? And we got to see her work with Tendi. We still haven't seen her work with Rutherford. I was kind of Mm -hmm. frustrated when Mariner and Boimler were paired again in the evil computer episode. I want to see her with Rutherford. And that would make perfect sense for Rutherford to be working with an evil computer. But regardless, I think we're going to see the reason that Mariner and Boimler are being paired so often is because something is going to happen in that relationship in the finale. Hmm. But also she is very, she felt abandoned by Boimler. So maybe that will lead to something. But, But the only reason she would feel so abandoned by him in particular is because she has strong feelings for him. I don't think she would have felt abandoned by Rutherford or Tendi curious or maybe she didn't know she had strong feelings for him until she felt abandoned who knows and that happens too and she is still in a state of denial like people have mentioned what's up with you and boimler she's like ew no never but 
and, you know, if his life is threatened, I think she's going to go out of her way to make sure that he, above all, comes out of it unscathed because she cares for him and that he's going to be like, oh, my God, why would you do that for me? And she's like, because you're part of my crew and I do that for anybody. And she's like, and he'd be like, mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> or she's going to get another ship. But she's, there's not one that she wants to serve on. Right. No, she purposely avoids any responsibility. We've already right. done the promoted thing. Yep. Ugh. Please don't be yes. right. No more romance. Ugh. Hey, you have spoiled plenty of parts of Discovery for me with your theories, which ended up being correct. No, I just don't theories want the romance. Yes. I'm not mad about the theory. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. Like, I don't think uh, I, this is not something I'm hoping for. It's just something that I think is likely. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't want the romance. I- <laughs> Ev, kissing is gross. That stinks. So we're done. Anyway, so <laughs> uh, any closing thoughts or shots? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's from the captain. How about our the chief science officer of our kitchen? I'll have to keep experimenting. We'll see. So okay. Well, Velda, it's been delightful having you as a guest on the show. Thank you so much. I believe this is, if I may say so, your first podcast. It is my first podcast ever, and I'm a little shy about it. But thank you for inviting me. Thank you. Well, for you coming. handled it with a plum. You were a great guest. We love sharing your knowledge, your insights. And for those who want to continue benefiting from your wisdom, where can they find you online? Well, I do have a blog that I think the name is really cool. I'm not sure if anything else is cool about it, but... It's a cool name. It's legendofvelda.com because I had to do that. So, uh, yeah, I'll see if I can hurry and put up something awesome by the time you air this. <laughs> Excellent. We will include a link in the show notes. Until next time. Hit it. Thank you. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave a review on iTunes and keep your hailing frequencies open by following us on Twitter at TransporterLock or subscribing to our podcast and email newsletter at TransporterLock.com. Let's do it, Rockapella. Ooh, wow.